Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today, as usual. Um, some very interesting things to talk about. We're going to talk about the 10 ways you're wasting money on travel. Um, you know, this is a good article out of Yahoo Finance, and it, it just highlights some of the things you may not think about when you're taking your summer vacation or your fall vacation. Um, there are some unique ways you can save money, and you may be overlooking some important things there. Yeah, that's good. I like that one. And then we're going to... Actually, have a little self promotion here, Steve. Well, you know, occasionally everybody gets a self promotion. Yeah, right? I mean, we we don't do that very often, but this is interesting. Um, we have questions from from folks out in the the audience and uh, folks looking at um, hiring us to help them. Is you know, what is the the true power, or you know, what do you add? What kind of value do we add to people's situation? So, there's some uh, studies that have been done, um, you know, historically that look at where advisors add value to people's situations. So we're going to go through some of the, the stats and some of the details. And again, it's, it's a little self-promoting, but it, it is, I mean, we see this. I mean, it is true um, for most people. Right. And you don't think about these ways. I mean, it's a lot more significant than you think, you know, whenever you start looking, digging into how people benefit from mm-hmm. working with a coach or an advisor. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we're happy to point those out to you. Yes, we will. We will do <laughs> so, that today. So that's a good one. All right. Well, um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro and I have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. Yeah, and we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Um, you can pull them right off our website. Yeah, right? website is moneymd.net. We have a link over on the right-hand corner. Uh, we also have a pretty cool video library. Um, we're building that out a little bit. Uh, have some Facebook information out there as well. If you're not Facebook friends with the Money Doctors, go check that out. We'll, we'll post videos on there so you can actually see us. We have, you know, people say we have good faces for radio, right? Yeah, that's right. But that's occasionally right. we're on Facebook. Yeah, we do. And I mean, we're not ugly people. We're just <laughs> we're just not like the glamorous. That's right. That's right. So we do put ourselves on video out there. We're not totally embarrassed by the way we look. But occasionally, but there are really good information on those video mm-hmm. libraries. So I think that's that's an important piece of uh, of the the information we're putting out there, educational information for our clients and and just people in the general community. So that's really really good. Um, and also you can reach us by email. We'd love to hear your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, again, um, you know, we have some very important information to share. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is about Social Security. And, um, you know, we do deal with um, divorced uh, spouses quite often. And, you know, here's an interesting stat that if you were married for more than 10 years, a divorced spouse is eligible for the same spousal benefit and the same survivor benefit um, as a still married, you know, current spouse. So, you know, there are some benefits um, that that you're due if you've been married for more than 10 years. And you have to take into that account um, when you do the planning piece of it. Yeah, it's significant. Um, you know, the spousal benefit is important. And if, you're, if your spouse is deceased, uh, you can draw off your spouse. You actually can draw early at age 60. Right. Um, of course, the income bem- limits still apply if you're if 
you make over $15,000 a year. But, you know, but being married has some unique benefits when it comes to Social Security and you're vested after 10 years. That's the point here. And so that's that's a really interesting and important fact it is, yeah. of the week. So I like that one. That's great. Okay, we're going to jump right into the 10 ways you're wasting money on travel. Um, this is based on an article out of Yahoo Finance here recently, uh, Brittany Cooper. And, you know, travelers, I mean, they have a ton of options these days with the Internet and all the websites out there. Uh, there's lots of places you can go and find some deals on travel. Credit card companies offer some huge travel perks, airlines that now are opening new uh, routes every day. So there's a lot of competition there. And you know, the battle between hotels and Airbnb has opened up a whole new world of lodging opportunities as well, John. So, I mean, there are really countless places like Priceline.com and Trivago and Hotels.com where you can search for the lowest, lowest hotel rates and you can really find some great deals out there nowadays. And it's a lot easier than it used to be. You can do it right off of your smartphone. But, you know, financing a trip is still a huge expense for most Americans. So you want to make sure that you're getting the best deals possible out there. And according to Value Penguin, a consumer advice website, um, the average U.S. family spends about $2,100 a year just on the transportation costs for the vacation. Wow. Um, yeah, let alone the lodging and the food. And food. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a significant part of your expense. You want to pay attention to that along with all of it. So to help you... Ensure that you're getting the best deals before you head out on your next summer vacation or your fall vacation. Here's a list of the 10 common mistakes that travelers make. Yeah, number one here is um, hotels, only booking online. I didn't really think about this, and obviously booking online is very convenient, and you know it can help you narrow down to, to get a good deal, but you, always, you may not get the best deal. I mean, right. if you're looking at a certain hotel, um, you might want to look at a competitor and get a better rate, and then call the front desk and ask if they can match the price associated with it. And if they say no, you can, you know, they could still throw in a free upgrade or continental breakfast to soften the blow. But bottom line, it never hurts to ask, you know, uh, most hotels if they'll match the price of their competitors. Um, because if you don't ask them, they're not going to give it to you. Right. It, it, it helps to be a little bit assertive and just, just ask the question because a lot of them will want to be competitive with uh, other hotels that are around. So, you know, ask your favorite hotel to compete with the folks next door. Yeah, and another one here, John, is not reading the fine print. I mean, you don't want to be a victim of sticker shock when you get your bill. I mean, some of the third-party sites like Orbitz and Priceline uh, have been known to show you one price, and then they slap you with a higher price right before you press the book button. So you want to double-check it when you press book, and you look, and you see the confirmation of what you're what you're signing up for because it can change pretty rapidly. Hotels revealed um, reports that that's a website, I believe that reports that some hotels can charge up to $160 a night for a resort fee. Hmm. Now I've never heard of anything like that, but you know, 10 to $15, I think is pretty standard. If you're staying in a place that calls themselves a resort, there's going to be resort fees. So you want to check that out and be sure to read the fine print before confirming your reservation other hidden charges include things like in-room in safe, surcharge, um, exercise facility fees, parking fees, fees for holding your luggage at checkout. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see a lot of hotels charging for those kind of things, but, you know, certainly for, for Internet, you know, they're going to charge you and things like that. So you want to read all the fine print 
and read the reviews. I, I find that there's a lot of information in reviews mm-hmm. about rooms that you wouldn't find on their website or anywhere. Yeah, TripAdvisor is pretty good. TripAdvisor is really good. I love reading those reviews because you'll find out, you know, the things to avoid and the things not to avoid. I went to a hotel one time and I read in TripAdvisor to avoid the desk on the left whenever you go in because they're trying to sell timeshares. (laughs) And sure enough, I walked in there and I saw that desk and I just veered right. I mean, you know, and avoided that place and... And, uh, yeah, they were, they were sure enough were selling timeshares. So interesting stuff you can find out there. And, you know, you, you can always avoid these fees. So it's better not to be surprised when you get that bill for, you know, a few hundred dollars more than maybe you were expecting, you know, when you check out. So you want to make sure you read all the fine print. Another one here is not joining the loyalty program for hotels. Now it pays to join a loyalty, loyalty program for, a lot of hotels for three primary reasons. The first is typically they're free. So you really have nothing to lose and they do give you some significant benefits. But second, many hotel chains offer a lower rate um, sometimes for its members. For instance, they give an example here in San Francisco where it was $12 a night cheaper to, you know, to go through the uh, loyalty program. If you were a member Hilton honors in this case, um, but then finally, sometimes being a loyalty member comes with free perks like free Wi-Fi or upgraded room um, or upgraded version of Wi-Fi. Um, sometimes you get free breakfast if you reach certain status levels with the hotel loyalty program. Um, and, of course, you get points on the program that do translate into free nights mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. So you want to join those hotel loyalty programs if you go to, a, you know, a chain like you typically would. Yeah, Hilton, Marriott, they're, they're two very popular ones out there. Yeah. Um, another one here on the list is, um, you know, mistake in ways that you're wasting your money on travel is booking flights on the wrong day. And I didn't realize this. I, I guess I'd heard a little bit about it. But according to Hopper, the best time to book a plane ticket is at midnight. On Tuesday. Go figure. Yeah, I mean, that may be past some people's bedtime. I know I'm asleep. Yeah, right. At midnight on Tuesdays. <laughs> well, set your alarm, John. Just yeah. get up for it. <laughs> but it's, you can save 6% on a flight. I'm like, 6%. Okay. Um, my sleep may be worth more than that. Well, Maybe. I don't know if you're taking a big flight. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking the be, family. That's true. Could be some money. Yeah, yeah that could be, yeah, you're right. Could, could be a couple hundred dollars. I mean, if you're spending 2100 bucks on, um, on transportation. Yeah, for your whole be family. Yeah. It sure could. Yep, yeah, yep. So, so that's serious. Yeah, so to get a good deal, try to schedule your departure on a Wednesday, which is the cheapest day to fly. And, you know, when you're checking airline websites and airfares, you'll want to try to do it incognito, which I think is hard to do. But the reason is that your traffic looking at certain tickets um, and prices can affect the price that it shows you. And of course, no one's going to admit that they're that you searching a ticket five times in one evening is going to make the price higher the next day. But it seems like it happens that way sometimes. I don't know about you, but I mean, yeah, I've people, seen it. People trying to get good deals and so forth. So it recommends, you know, uh, opening up another web browser, um, trying to go incognito so they can't track you and tell that it's the same person searching for the fares. But I guarantee you they have with all these systems, man, they have this thing locked down that, if you're searching for the same day, the same locations, they're going to pick it up on all these different websites. Yeah, I mean, they're smart about it. I don't know. I, there's got to be a way around that. I think my, my general rule of thumb is is I don't start searching it till I'm ready to buy it so I can do it all at the same night. You know what I mean? So I'm not like stretching it out over several days because I think you do, the price does run up. Mm-hmm. It, it, it seems so often that if you check it the next day, it's higher. 
So I, I like to buy it the same day, you know, and, and just do my search all at one time because otherwise uh, I always feel like I'm getting a higher per price mm-hmm. the next day. Yeah, I mean, here's another one, John. Booking a flight too early or too soon. Um, and this is interesting. Getting the best deal on airfare is all about timing in April. Uh, uh, CheapAir.com study revealed that the lowest fare for any given trip changed an average of 71 times from the time it was posted. So, wow, they, they change it almost daily. And to find a great deal, the travel planning website suggests you book your fare 54 days in advance for uh, U.S. continental type flights within the U.S. You combine that information with doing it at midnight on Tuesday, and heck, you may feel like you just stole it in a Black Friday deal, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, probably not, but yeah, certainly can't hurt. Good, I yeah, mean, that's pretty interesting advice. information. It really is. So Tuesday at midnight and 54, 54 days in advance. There's your very best deal on airfare, according to them. Another one is paying the to check a bag. You know, if you typically check a bag when you travel, as most people do, of course, Everybody knows you have to pay for that now. So consider signing up for the airfare airline credit card. In addition to the perks like sign-up bonuses, Delta, American, JetBlue, Southwest Airlines, they all have cards that allow the cardholders to check the first bag free. So if you get the credit card, I mean, that's pretty serious because, you know, it's checked back. It's it's $25 each way Mm -hmm. for the first bag, and then it's more for the second bag, right? So... Uh, you, you know, that, that really adds up. Um, so you want to probably look into that if you fly the same airline, you know, again, make sure you're signed up for the loyalty program. You know, if you gain some status, it almost always comes with the first check bag being free and it can be two check bags free. If you get like gold medallion on uh Delta, they give you two bags and that's for everybody in the party. So that could be hundreds of dollars on a single trip. Um, if you get their status, get to a status level like that. Um, another one here, John, is throwing away perfectly good miles. You know, just because you, you have enough miles or you don't have enough points, you know, for a free plane ticket doesn't mean that you shouldn't spend it. The lowest level of award availability for most airlines is 25,000 miles if you want to get a free ticket. Um, however, you know, a good rule is to pay cash for the cheapest ticket costing less than $500. Then you can use your miles for more expensive international travel or some longer travel trip, but, uh, don't throw away those miles though. You want to make sure you use them somehow. Yeah. Here's another one at the uh, airport. I mean, we all know this, um, you know, stores and vendors are able to charge above retail. I mean, that 99 cent water bottle is going to cost you $2 to $3 at an airport, and if it's close to, um, you know, if it's close to buying food at a, at a major sporting event, it's going to be more expensive as well. So, you know, buy your snacks before you travel, load up your book bag with all the necessities before you get to the airport. And of course, you can't bring liquids on to the airline. But when you're on the plane, you can ask for the whole can of soda or water, and they're probably going to give it to you. So just do some planning on the essentials when you're in the uh, airport. Yeah, Kathy always does that, you know. She always asks for the whole can, mm-hmm. and um, it works. I mean, they always give it to her, and she'll say, you know, I'd like a Diet Coke with no ice, and I'm always, I am always forget to do that, and you get, like, twice as much drink if you do it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's so right. It's the small things, John. They add up. <laughs> you got to pay attention to those things. All right, rental cars, the next one here, renting at the airport because of extra airport fees. It's usually more expensive to rent a car near the airport, 
So if there is an off-site location just outside the airport zone, it's probably more cost-effective to take the public transportation or a cab, pick up your car there um, off the airport. You know, if the stars align, I mean, you could save a, a, a good bit of money doing that. So um, also consider renting a smaller uh, standard size than a standard size car um, because there's a good chance you get a free upgrade. So if you don't need a, a big car, just rent a small one. Pay the cheaper price. They're usually a lot cheaper. And then more and more rental cars, companies, they only have full-size cars available anyway because, you know, people don't rent the small ones. So they just have full-size. So you pay for a compact and you still get a full-size car a lot of times. So that's a pretty good tip. The last one here is prepaying for gas. You know, never um, take the prepaid gas option. I think most people know this, but... And you always want to refill the car before turning it back in. You know, make sure, well, it's obviously convenient to do the prepay option, but you can never return a car absolutely empty, you know. So you're, even if you have it for a full week, you're usually going to waste a quarter to a half a tank of gas because you're going to turn in with a significant amount of gas in it. So, you know, simply plan to stop on the way back to fill up the tank before turn it back in. In fact, you can fill up anywhere within about 20 miles of the airport with most cars and you'll still have it on full mm-hmm. by the time you get to the rental center. So don't waste a lot of money on the prepaid gas option. Very so good. there are your 10 ways to save on travel. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah. This question has to do with retirement and um, having a lot of conversations with people about retirement. You know, the baby boomers are retiring 10,000 per day. And, um, you know, the question is, is if I can work part time in my field, does that help my retirement outlook? And the answer is absolutely yes. Of course. Yeah. So if you can, um, you know, work part time consultant or go back into the to the same business and and work part time, that means you don't have to draw Social Security potentially. And you're not pulling money out of your retirement plan. And so you can delay that. And that helps the the retirement planning scenario significantly. And a lot of people we find they don't want to just go from 100 to zero, right? They want to do some some work um, yeah, because kinda, they enjoy it. To kind of dip their toe in retirement. That's right. You know, kind of right. test drive it a little bit by working part-time. And I think that's a great way to go. And yeah, you can delay your Social Security. It grows like 7%, 7 to 8% a year mm-hmm. by doing that. Um, so that's a big savings. You let your 401k grow some more, you know, by not drawing out of it. Um, so it all helps. So that's a, that's a big deal. That's a great idea if you're in that position and you can do that. So that's a good one. All right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that's behavioral alpha, the power of financial advice. Yeah. This, um, this article is a couple years old now, back in 2015, it was written by Daniel Crosby, who was a PhD. And, um, it cites a couple of studies. Vanguard's done a study as well. And, and so we get the question a lot of times, you know, um, how do, how do we add value to, to people's situations? And, right. um, you know, a lot of times people can do this on their own, or at least they feel that way. But when you start getting down to the, some of the details, it does get very, very confusing. And, and so we're going to kind of start right off, Steve, by talking about, um, you know, how financial advice pays. And we're going to go into some numbers here. And again, this is, yeah, you know, it is self-promoting, I guess, but we see we see the value in what we add to clients based on the feedback we get from them. And then we also review a lot of situations where someone has not worked with a financial advisor and they've made a ton of mistakes. Right. right? And even, even if you don't use an advisor, you need to be aware of these things because you need to cover these things on your, some other way that's on right. your own that's if right. you're not doing it yourself. 
Yeah. So, you know, the first one here is, um, you know, in the era of $7 trades, free commissions, I mean, some are, are quick to dismiss the idea of, of the relationship, you know, as a, as a relic of, of, you know, an era gone by. But years ago, I mean, brokers and advisors, they were guardians of financial data and the keeper of, you know, the stock quote and all that kind of stuff. Today, nobody needs that. On an iPhone, of course, you can get stock quotes anywhere. Um, and so that's easy, you know. So the, the question is, you know, is your advisor really earning their fee? You know, and an appeal to the research shows the answer really is a resounding yes, because there are a number of ways that you probably haven't thought of that it makes a big difference and, and it, it translates into higher returns as well. Right. There was a um, an article, Steve, a couple of years ago um, by Vanguard, and they estimated the value um, added by working with the competent financial advisors about 3% per year. Wow. I mean, that's a big number. It is. Um, the paper is quick to point out that 3% delta is not going to be a smooth, linear you know, number, but rather it's, it's really going to be lumpy. It's going to be concentrated during some difficult times, um, you know, profound fear and also greed as well. And this uneven distribution of advisor values really uh, presages a second truth that we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about in a, in a minute. But the highest and best use of a financial advisor really is as a behavioral coach. Uh, there's some tax benefits we'll talk about, but someone that can help you through some of the difficult um, markets out there and help you make some good decisions where, you know, most of the people are going one direction, but you have someone else that can kind of coach you in that process. So um, there's some further evidence. Morningstar did a uh, white paper recently, and they basically said, you know, in an attempt to kind of quantify what an advisor offers, um, they arrived at a figure of 1.82% per year outperformance for those receiving advice aimed at uh, improving their financial uh, choices. So a couple of different studies out there, different numbers and so forth. But, um, you know, most most advisors, if they're competent and they have a good process, can help you in your financial situation. Yeah, and one more study done by Aon Hewitt, um, they came up with a figure that also showed significant dividends for working with an advisor. Their initial research back in uh, 2006 through 2008, they compared those receiving help online with those that were, were doing it, um, you know, th- themselves basically. And what they found was that, that during that time, those who received help outperformed those who did it on their own by 1.86% per year net of fees. Mm-hmm. So very significant uh, outperformance by those that got help. Yeah, and they did another study in 2009 and, and 2010, and the difference was 2.92% for those who had help versus no help. And just as was suggested by the Vanguard you know, study, the benefits of advice are disproportionately experienced during times when rational decision-making becomes most difficult. And sometimes that's at, at the bottom of a market. Sometimes it's at the top when people get you know super aggressive. So... You know, if you look at these different studies, um, you know, the the financial guidance tends to pay off somewhere in the ballpark between 2 to 3% a year. And, and for some people, they may say, well, that's not a lot. But when you start looking at oh, compounding huge. impact, it is it is massive. It really is a very large um, number. Yeah, and the, the, the benefit may not come in the form that people think, you know, in the area that people think. And that's the interesting part of these studies, you know, in the 2012 value of advice report, um, the Investment Funds Institute of Canada found that investors who purchased 
financial advice are more than one and a half times more likely to stick with their long-term plan than those who did not. So it was the coaching and accountability that made a big difference here. And because of this commitment to a game plan, the wealth discrepancies between families that received advice and those who did not um, were very significant and grew over time. For those who received four to six years of advice, the multiple was 1.58, that they were more likely to stick with their long-term strategy. Um, for those receiving seven to 14 years of advice, it was double. Mm-hmm. It was twice as likely that they were going to stick with their long-term strategy and grow their wealth. And those receiving 15 or more years of advice, they clocked in at almost three, per, at almost three times as likely, 2.73 times as likely to stick with their plan and stay invested in the market. Um, and so good advice, it, it pays in the short run, but it gets really significant over the long run. And the difference yeah. really is staggering when you start looking at the wealth of those that have accumulated that had advice. Yeah, it definitely adds up. And I think all these studies we see, um, you know, they point to financial advice adding value if you do it consistently over time. But Steve, there's some other uh, benefits as well. And we see this in uh, conversations with clients of just improving the quality of life. I mean, you know, when you look beyond the dollars and the cents, it's it's worth considering um, where there are quality of life benefits um, enjoyed. And, you know, I mean, after all, you know, many people are perfectly capable of mowing a lawn or cleaning a home or, you know, doing technical things around their house. But uh, a lot of times they'll hire that out. They want to enjoy the peace of mind, you know, of increased time with loved ones um, as a result of delegation. So um, there are some people that can do some of these technical pieces on their own, but they choose not to. They they exactly. they find more value in spending time with their loved ones or doing a hobby um, associated with it. So you know, receiving good financial advice you know pays a dividend that builds both wealth and confidence. I mean, the research is really unequivocal that a competent financial guide can help you achieve you know good returns necessary to arrive at your financial destination, uh, while also improving the quality of your journey. So. Again, there's a lot of different choices out there. There, there are self-help options out there. I mean, Vanguard's a, a good option for people, but it doesn't come necessarily with a person that can help you through some of these difficult times. Yeah, that's right. And they quantified this in some of the studies, you know, how, how people uh, actually improve their situation by working with an advisor. And, you know, what they found in the Vanguard's advisor study, they did an excellent job of quantifying it by, you know, many of the common activities performed by an advisor and the results, you know, may surprise you. They basically said rebalancing adds about a third of a percent, 0.35% in additional return. Asset allocation from a professional adds anywhere from zero to three quarters of a percent per year of additional return. And then behavioral coaching, though, that's the big one that we just talked about that's one and a half percent additional return per year. And, you know, that comes in the down times, right? I mean, in the good times, it's pretty easy, John. I mean, anybody can come up with an allocation mm-hmm. and do okay in the stock market and the market's doing really well. But it's when the markets are down that you got it. You need some coaching. You need some help. You need some discipline. You need a strategy to give you the confidence to stay in. Stay in. Yeah, and Morningstar, you know, that's that's what you just listed was really more from the Vanguard. Morningstar said there's a couple other things. Um, withdrawal strategy, right? So where do you withdraw your your money from, and, and do you pull it from stocks or do you pull it from bonds? So you got to look at taxes, 
there can be some significant tax savings, you know, working with a CPA and planning out your your strategy and, and product allocation and goals, you know, based advice. And so there's a lot of different ways to, to do the financial side of it. This study shows, you know, financial advisors in general can add value to your situation. It's not guaranteed, obviously, but um, if you work with a competent financial advisor that has a good process, it can be a benefit to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they point out here that, you know, you can self-taught, t- teach yourself some of these things, you know, um, like asset allocation. I mean, you can find information out there on, on how to do that. But, you know, the, the knowledge is only one part of it. The other part is the coaching that is, is involved in putting a strategy together. I mean, if that weren't true, then, you know, I mean, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be diet coaches and fitness centers sure. and everything else out there. We all know how to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah. it takes more than that to be successful. And, you know, in the same way, it takes, takes some very significant help to be successful long-term and building a long-term, you know, strategy sure. to get you to your goals. Yeah. So if you have questions on your situation, feel free to reach out to us at info at moneymd.net. We'll uh, take a look at it. All right. Good topic. And we're going to finish up here with the uh, prescription of the week. And the prescription is to clean out your financial documents and streamline your financial documents in life so that you know what to keep. Um, and so our recommendation on what to keep with your financial documents is, first of all, any tax documents, yes, you need to keep those for three to seven years. So your 1099s that you get, you should keep those. But when it comes to statements, you really don't need to keep a lot of that stuff. For, for one, you don't need to keep any proxy or disclosure statements. You read it. It's a one-time read if you're interested in it. Otherwise, you discard it after that, right? Um, you don't need to keep any redundant statements. But when you do get statements from your accounts, you know you only need to keep the most recent month for most type of accounts. Mm-hmm. And and then at the end of the year, I like to throw away all the monthly ones and just keep the end of the year statement. And even then, I only want the summary pages. I want the page that shows the summary of the beginning and ending period. And I want the page that shows the... Um, that shows the the, the the holdings. Right. And that's it. So yeah. I got like two pages per account. You know, I put those in a notebook. Um, you know, whenever that fills up, I, I file those in a folder per account. But that's it. So the, the prescription of the week is to streamline your financial data, clean it up so that you, you know what you have and, and you're not keeping all this excess stuff. Yeah, we're in a paperless society now, right? And definitely. Kind of Definitely. Sorta. You can pull all that stuff off the internet. Yeah, that's right. just about any account. So there you go. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.